covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Back to our normal schedule this week. Last week, we delayed the show by a day. I hate doing that. I don't know, for whatever reason, I feel like if the podcast is going to come out on Sunday night slash Monday morning, then the podcast should come out every week, Sunday night slash uh, Monday morning. I take pride in the uh, the podcast coming out at the same time every week. So if you're out there and you're somebody who has a routine and you listen to it on Mondays at a certain time, whatever it might be, that it's always there for you. So if you are one of those people let me apologize to you. It bugs me. We've done it. A, I think we're up to uh, maybe episode 145 of the podcast, something like that. I could check, but uh, I think the recording might stop if I do, so I'm not going to at this very moment, but we're somewhere in there. That was maybe the second or third time that we moved it back to a Monday. We don't do podcasts for a couple weeks around uh, Christmas, and outside of that, it's a Every Sunday night slash early Monday morning sort of deal. So thank you for uh, putting up with the podcast being delayed by a day last week. I think it was a good decision, especially considering the how compelling of a day it was with the uh, tender decisions. And we were able to talk about all that uh, on the podcast last week. A lot to get to this week. Let's get to our normal housekeeping items here at the top. Uh, if you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast rankings and reviews, if you can leave them, those would be very much appreciated. Uh, also, if you want to get in contact with me, you can do so uh, at Matt Pauley on air on Twitter, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And uh, if you can subscribe to the podcast, no matter what platform you listen to it on, that would be uh, helpful as well. If you just want to go to WTMJ.com and listen to it, and you want to keep doing it that way, that's fine. I'm just glad that you uh, do listen uh, to the podcast. Also, a special hello to everybody who is listening on 540 ESPN, as uh, this is part of uh, Doug Russell's Pod Center that he puts together, and I know this gets aired a couple times over the course of the week. So if you are listening to us to us uh, via radio, 540 ESPN, uh, hello to you. This is a podcast, and as you can probably figure out based off what i just said you can subscribe to you can find all the details uh over at wtmj.com kyle Osneski is going to be our featured guest this week kyle has been uh kind of a a star here over the last week and a half two weeks as he has uh been able to uh break a couple bits of junior gara news he was the one who first reported that gara would be non-tendered and then he was the one on sunday to report that uh gara had signed a deal with the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. So uh, Kyle Lesneski is going to join us on the podcast this week, uh, Brewers Extraneous Podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. Uh, this past week, Brewers saw a couple of free agents walk out the door. Mike Moustakis signs a deal with the Cincinnati Reds. Jordan Lyles signs a deal with the Texas Rangers. And now they are uh, they're, they're gone. And I'll be honest with you, when... I've been I've read a lot of this offseason completely incorrectly um, when I thought that I, I thought they would bring back more of their arbitration eligible players. I was wrong on that. Um, I I thought they would bring back at least Mike Mustakas or yeah or Yasmani Grandal. Uh, wrong on that. I really thought Jordan Lyles was going to be back almost no matter what. I was wrong on that. So 
I've been wrong on a lot of things here as this offseason. I've said all along that I thought this offseason was going to be incredibly compelling, and it has been, but there just continues to be more questions than answers about what this team is going to look like next year. We don't know a lot. We don't know who's going to play third. We don't know for sure who's going to play at first. We don't uh, know what that outfield situation is going to look like, depending on if Ryan Braun ends up playing more time at first base. We certainly don't know who the starting pitchers are going to be. There's a ton of holes in the rotation. One answer we do get this past week is the addition of Omar Narvaez. Uh, He comes over from the Seattle Mariners in a trade. There's... This guy can hit, and he's going to replace a good portion of the offensive production that you're losing because, yes, Monty Grandal walked out the door. But from a defensive standpoint, he's not what Grandal was, especially in terms of pitch framing, uh, working with young pitchers and things like that. That's a that's another area that he doesn't have a great reputation. For right now, and sure, there's big questions right now because we don't know who's going to play a bunch of positions. But those those type of questions have to be answered before you get to spring training. The roster has to include players that you have an idea are, are going to be at third, are going to be at first, are going to be in the rotation, are going to be in the bullpen. Those, so of the, of the questions that we are not going to have clearly answered, maybe the most interesting, compelling question going into this season is how much will the defensive ability – or, or inability, if you want to look at it that way, of an Omar Narvaez going to affect the Brewers? And is he somebody that the Brewers can help turn into a much better defensive catcher? To the Brewers' credit, they've been pretty good at getting very good uh, defensive ability out of their catchers, and they have they seem to improve catchers from a defensive standpoint. They've got some good instructors inside of the organization. Clearly, that's going to be something that they're going to be working with. Uh, with Nervaez moving forward, we really don't know how much he can improve as a defensive catcher. I don't think anybody's going to be giving him a gold glove, but how much does he improve? I think he's going to get better. Tr- Brewers' track record when it comes to catchers and their defensive ability, would tell you he is going to improve, uh, but how much he improves, that, that's a really interesting thing going into next season. And I, I think we're all still just kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. What kind of uh, – a lot of people are really worried about this roster. There's rumblings about uh, the, the salary – the, the payroll going down this upcoming season, which now seems like a, a very possible thing, but how much it goes down is probably the bigger question in terms of how competitive this team can be this upcoming season. Uh, but we're all we're all just kind of waiting, and that's what that goes back to just the the idea of this being a very very compelling off season. How many more moves does David Stearns have in his back pocket, and what kind of moves are they? Are they trades? Is, is this team equipped to make trades to acquire pretty high-level talent that's going to help at the Major League roster when you look at where the minor league system is at right now? Do they surprise us when it comes to free agency and spend money and, and get in on some guys that we weren't expecting them to be in on? I don't know. I, I don't know. And when you know the thing that's that's kind of scares you about that is you look at a Jordan Lyles contract and say, well, they, they could have done that. Uh, you look at a Yasmani Grandal contract, and that's big money. And quite honestly, that the thing that scares me about that is number of years. What is that contract going to look like at the end of the contract? 
But could could have they, should have they uh, been in the same ballpark as, as the White Sox when it came to Grandal? That's and the fact that they weren't. What does that say about their spending moving forward in the off season? Right now, it makes you feel like they're not willing to spend a whole bunch of money. And with the way that the free agent market is moving so much more swiftly this year than it has in previous years, the last two years, you do wonder if some of those one-year deals that the Brewers have been able to uh, get in the offseason, close to spring training, if those kind of deals are going to be out there this year or if those players are just going to have signed earlier in the offseason because of the way the market is playing out. Uh, one other quick note before we get to our conversation with uh, Kyle Lesneski. Ted Simmons has been elected to the uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And this is someone who had a pretty major impact with the Brewers when you look at when he played, what his teams uh, did when he was playing, uh, was a couple-time All-Star with the with the Brewers. I know a lot of people look back at Ted Simmons and they really think of him more uh, with the Cardinals than any other team, uh, but he even spent some time on the coaching staff with the Brewers as well, and uh, I think well-deserved, very well-deserved that uh, Ted Simmons is voted into uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. And there's not a lot of guys who have – uh, Brewers connections, who even if it's a small amount of time. In fact, uh, he is just the seventh former Brewers player to earn induction into the Hall of Fame. I'm hopeful at some point he can be named to uh, the Brewers uh, Walk of Fame or the Miller Park Walk of Fame is officially what it's referred to. Not a lot of guys get in. The last time somebody was inducted was 2018 with uh, Jeff Jenkins. Prior to that, uh, 2015 with uh, Joe Adcock. But just a handful of uh, individuals are uh, part of that. And uh, maybe Simmons getting into uh, Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown will be enough for uh, voters to uh, vote him in uh, on that. Even though he didn't spend as much I think the thing that's holding him back on that is the limited amount of time that he spent with the Brewers as a player, but very impactful, very impactful in his time with the Brewers as a player. All right, uh, let's get to it. We're very happy uh, as we move on to our social media conversation. We're going to bring in Kyle Lesneski. It's been a very eventful last couple weeks for him, so let's get to it. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers x Rennies, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. For the first time in uh, over a month, we don't have Brad Ford on the program, but we have somebody else from uh, Brew Crew Ball on. That is uh, Kyle Osneski. He is uh, the Brew Crew Ball managing editor. Kyle, I guess you'll do your best uh, Brad impersonation today. I will uh, certainly try to fill those large shoes. <laughs> in um, in all seriousness, it's been a really interesting couple weeks for you uh, as you broke a couple bits of, of Junior Guerra news. First off, uh, you were the first one to report that he was going to be non-tendered. And then most recently on Sunday, uh, you reported that he was going to sign a deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think a lot of people out there uh, know your affinity for Junior and what he's been able to do for the Brewers. Just before we get specifically into the, you know, the, the reasons for the decisions and your thoughts on the decision, what has this last however long it's been, week, week and a half been like for you uh, since first reporting the the non-tender and then also uh, the Diamondbacks news on Sunday? 
Yeah, it's, it's been um, a little bit weird. Uh, I guess, you know, I haven't really um, ever been the guy to report anything like that. Um, but, you know, I can, g- going through it now, I can, I can certainly see what uh, a lot of these, you know, bigger national guys deal with on a day-to-day basis in terms of managing their Twitter feeds and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly been uh, a lot to deal with as far as going through um, going through my mentions and and all that sort of stuff, and then having pe- people reach out to me and say, "Oh, hey, congratulations for getting the scoop, this and that, blah blah blah." You know, not not that you know breaking Junior Guerra stuff in the grand scheme of things is is the largest story, but uh, you know, for for a guy who comes from my background and you know has really only ever done blogging stuff online, if if you know that's what you want to call it, it's been kind of cool. From a from the actual decision standpoint, you look at the, what the money being reported on the Diamondbacks deal is. It appears that uh, you compare that to what the arbitration projection was. Maybe half a million, six hundred thousand dollar different uh, difference between uh, what the Brewers could have potentially been paying him if they would have gone to arbitration versus what he got with the Diamondbacks. Uh, that doesn't seem like a, a whole lot of money. There's some people out there that are critical of the Brewers for not bringing him back. Uh, I guess your affinity for him off to the side from a very business of baseball standpoint, how do you feel about the decision uh, the Brewers made, especially compared to the money he ends up getting with the Diamondbacks? Um, well, what I what I can say, um, what, what I do sort of know about, I guess, what the, the negotiations went on, um, is that the the Brewers approached Guerra from a standpoint of saying, hey, we think that you are in fact worth what these projections say, which you know I think MLB trade rumors said right around three and a half million. Um, so the the Brewers essentially told him that he was worth that money, but they could not afford to pay him that because they could for example, pay three other players using that sum of money. So hearing that and then also hearing reports of how the Brewers are looking to cut payroll and all that kind of stuff this winter, um, you know, I guess all of that kind of seems to jive with what the front office is, is looking to do. And it doesn't seem like They've been very aggressive in really trying to keep any of their um, outgoing free agents. Uh, they got outbid for Grandal. They got outbid for Jordan Lyles. Um, they got outbid for Moustakis, although I don't know that um, that $64 million for Moustakis is something that, that many other teams would have done. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I do think that uh, knowing what I know about how those negotiations went, and then what else has been reported? Uh, I do think that there there is some credence to uh, the idea that the Brewers are trying to cut payroll this winter. As we take a step back on Guerra for a moment, this is a guy who has done everything that the Brewers asked him. Uh, that you know the the, the first pickup there uh, for for David Stearns and a guy who kind of redefined himself a couple separate times over the course of his Brewers tenure. And uh, when when he was rested, working as a relief pitcher this past year, he was as good as anybody, and then the innings that he put up were, were top in the National League. This is somebody who um, I think Brewers fans should certainly remember very fondly for what he was able to do for the team. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he proved to be incredibly valuable to the team, especially considering the way that Craig Council uses his bullpen and um, used his bullpen for the first five months of the season, even before they got the expanded rosters. Um, this is a guy who uh, led the National League in, in relief innings at, at 83.2. I don't think there was another guy um, within two innings of him uh, in terms of relievers this year. Um, pitched multi-innings in, in probably something like half of his appearances, uh, which is, you know, like I said, something that, that's incredibly valuable to the Brewers, especially in those middle innings when they've got a starter who's, who they're only counting on to maybe go but somewhere between four and five innings. Um, so that, that's going to be a pretty big role that they're going to have to try and figure out how they're going to fill next season. And as things stand now, um, you know, they don't, they don't really have anybody proven in the bullpen beyond Josh Hader and you could say Corey Knable, but it's still kind of up in the air about when exactly he'll be able to return from his Tommy John surgery. So it, you know, there's, there's any number of, of candidates that they've got on the 40 man roster right now, but, um, that that's probably going to be a spot that they're going to want to go out and, and try and find, um, you know, somebody who can, who can come in and, and step in and, and sort of fill that role. And, you know, I, I guess thinking about what Gara ended up getting and what his projections were, like, are you going to, are you going to be able to find a guy who you can feel confidently about doing what Gara did last year for, about three million dollars. Um, you know, I guess I'm not I'm not necessarily sure. So that'll be that'll be something that um, is probably going to be a, a pretty significant challenge for David Stearns to figure out this winter. Of the three free agents who have left, Mustakas, Grandal, and Lyles, you look at those three contracts. Are uh, if you were David Stearns, would have you matched any of those contracts? I certainly would have done the Grandal deal, uh, definitely. Um, I don't. I don't think that there is a player on the market who can provide as much impact as he has proven to be able to for the price that he got. I mean, you think about, you know, a, a, a Josh Donaldson, um, somebody like that, a, a five five to six win third baseman, um, somebody who can go out and hit you thirty thirty plus home runs a year. Uh, there are projections anywhere between two and fifty million dollars, three and seventy-five million dollars for for a player like that, um, and that's obviously significantly more than than what Grandal was, uh, what Grandal ended up getting. You know, in terms of both uh, overall guarantee and average annual value. Um, I think by nature the the market for catchers and what what their contracts are are. Um, a little bit depressed uh, compared to other positions in free agency just because of the, the wear and tear that, that catchers go through. Um, but there's actually been a lot of research done that shows that the, the overall aging curve for catchers is really not dissimilar from the overall aging curve for a player at any position. And in fact, you know, there's some evidence that suggests that catchers age even better than than players that that other positions do, although it's you know a little bit of a slight difference. Um, but when when you're talking about uh, an elite player and a player who is you know obviously entering his 30s and and that sort of stuff, um, there is a lot 
longer for them to fall before they're not a useful player. So Yasmani Grandal's been at least a, a four win above replacement player for the last uh, five or six years now. Um, just came off a season where he was worth over five war from fan grabs and prospectus. Um, so, I mean, that's even if you account for the, the general aging curve is thinking about maybe you lose about half a win per season. Um, if we start at five wins above replacement next year, by the end of that contract, he's still uh, a three, three win player, which is an above average regular at catcher. Um, and then when you think about all the praise that he's gotten for how he works with the pitching staff and how he prepares for games and what he brings to the table in terms of pitch framing, um, he, he's a supremely valuable player. And like I said, um, looking at the contract that he got, uh, I, I don't think that we're going to see um, many other five win above replacement players uh get a deal for four and, and 73 million. I think a lot of those types of players are looking probably at, at, you know, a hundred plus million dollar contracts. So that's certainly a deal that I think, um, the Brewers should have, should have strongly considered matching and, um, you know, might, might've missed out there. I understand everything you just said. And quite honestly, I can't, I have a hard time arguing anything that you just said. The, the number of years, worries me on him and you know he's coming off a year with a really really heavy workload we'll see if that has any impact on next season he's going to an American League team so there's going to be the option to use him as a DH especially later on in that contract and you know in the National League to give him a day off but keep his bat in the lineup you're moving him over to uh to first base I for me I actually, of those three contracts, if I'm asking myself the same question I just asked you, and I know we're talking to you, we're not talking to me, I would have actually gone with the Jordan Lyles contract if I had to match one of the three. Uh, just the the Grandall years really scares me, and I feel like who Lyles was down the stretch with the Brewers is who he can continue to be, especially with mm-hmm. the Brewers. So I would have gone with Lyles on on that answer. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to argue with that. And when when you think about the Lyles deal, that's essentially the deal that they gave Yoli Shasin a couple of years ago. And you know it's it's not hard for the team to move on from something like that if you know like what happened with Shasin, where you know he kind of he kind of um, had a tough year this year, and they were able to just cut him loose in the in the middle of the season and didn't really have to think twice about it. You know for for that level of, um, in order to justify that level of contract, I mean, you're really asking a guy maybe to be a, a one and a half win above replacement pitcher in each of those seasons, which is a, a pretty low threshold to um, to expect, especially for for a guy who's a starting pitcher. I mean, if if Jordan Lyles even had gone out and been a league average starting pitcher, uh, you know, thrown 160 innings with a four ERA for the next two years, I mean. It, it's pretty easy to justify that that kind of contract. So, um, it, it, like I said, it'd be hard to disagree with you there, especially given the state of the Brewers' current pitching depth. Um, there's really not a whole lot there, and this is certainly going to be a, a position that they're going to have to address at some point this offseason. And, um, you know, it just is one of those things where I guess the Brewers are – uh, one of those teams, they they put a valuation on a player, and for better or for worse, they're they're going to stick to it, and they're not they're not willing to ever overpay for 
any individual player. And it seems like David Stearns' decisions uh, a lot of the time revolve less around how the team is built in total versus, you know, specifically a value-driven analysis of that individual player. I, I have to kind of laugh at myself. I, I'm wrong a fair amount of times, and I've got no problem admitting uh, when I'm wrong. But the the way this offseason has changed in the course of really two to three weeks, three weeks ago, you see all the arbitration-eligible players. You figure they're still going to maybe probably bring back either Moustakis or Grandal. They'd probably still be in on Lyles. Uh, I, I, was, I said all the time that I did not really see a scenario where payroll would not go up at least a little bit next season because I thought they would bring back a lot of arbitration-eligible guys and, like I mentioned, probably bring at least one of those free agents back. Clearly, I'm I'm as wrong as you can be on that as so many arbitration-eligible guys were non-tendered and they don't bring back any of those three free agents. Are you as surprised as as maybe I am, or were you on the same? Uh, were you thinking the same thing that looking to next season, maybe two three weeks ago, it looked clear that they were maybe going to have to increase payroll? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I would say that um, that was a very widely held belief uh, when the off season began. I mean, this is a team that is in the middle of their competitive window. They're, they've had two straight postseason appearances and just missed out on a third straight one the year before that. And they have the best player in the National League right in the middle of their lineup and in his prime on a well, well below average contract, especially considering what he brings to the table. So you would think that this is a point where they're going to do everything that they can to maximize this Christian Yelich window, because when he is able to hit free agency after the 2022 season, um, as things stand right now, I mean, this is a guy who's going to probably be able to command a, a $300 million contract. And if, you know, you're being honest with yourself, it's really difficult to see the Brewers making a competitive offer to keep him when that time does come. So having a player like this, even, uh, you know, especially in a market like Milwaukee is incredibly rare. And, you know, it's, we, we haven't had a player like this for the Brewers since we had in prime Ryan Braun, you know, up until 2012. And it took, you know, until now to, to have another, you know, hugely impactful player like that in the middle of the lineup. And it seemed like, you know, they had a, a pretty well-established core in place. That was what David Stern said that their goal was when he first came to the team was, you know, they wanted to find all this controllable talent and they found a bunch of controllable talent and they had a lot of guys, you know, that, that they acquired that came in and formed this core around Christian Yelich. And apparently they decided that, you know, most of that supporting cast wasn't going to be either what gets them over the hump or wasn't going to fit the the financial window that I guess they're trying to thread things through right now. So, um, you know, it, it certainly puts a pretty significant cloud over next year and the years going forward. Um, if we can't expect the Brewers to spend $130 million on payroll when they have the best player in the national league on a, on a super cheap contract, um, then, you know, I, I don't know 
how much other impactful talent we can expect them to go out and get. I mean, it's clearly a different free agent market this year than it's been the past two years. Uh, I don't think that they're going to be able to fall into those uh, one-year deals like they got for Moustakis and, and for Grand, and for Grandal last year. Um, it, it doesn't seem like those types of high-impact players are going to be available in the same capacity. So, you know, they're either going to have to make a pretty significant bet on their ability to go out and find some undervalued talent and get the most out of them, um, or we're you know looking at them, I guess maybe taking a little bit of a step back and and figuring out what they're going to do next year and and going forward. So it certainly you know like I said kind of kind of puts a cloud over what what we can expect for the next few years. And what you just said, there was clearly the you know let's see what's going to happen. You didn't close off the door that hey maybe they. Maybe they make some big moves, and maybe they surprise people, and they get that payroll back up to a, a respectable level, kind of like we were expecting it to be this upcoming season. There is also still the possibility that they don't do that, and that could say something. I'll say this. David Stearns, in his time with the Brewers, has has gotten it done. When, when, they've, when they've had needs, he's been able to find a way to fill those needs, even this past year where... Uh, they, they go get a Drew Pomerantz, and a lot of people criticize that deal, but Pomerantz ended up being a, a really big impact player for this team. Right now, should fans, I don't know, I, is this something where we should just kind of sit back and see what the next two months or so, how it plays out, and say, okay, Stearns has, Stearns has done it before where he is – uh, where he's filled those needs, and while right now it seems like there's a lot more needs than people available to be able to put this roster together, maybe he's going to be able to pull a rabbit out of his hat? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, like I said, it's just going to have to be kind of one of those one of those wait-and-see things. Um, there's a lot of time left in the offseason, um, but at the same time, you know, there's not a farm system in place right now to go out and make another yeah. Christian Yelich-type move. So if they're going to go out and find um, an impact MLB player or um, do something like that via trade, it's it's going to have to involve probably trading away from the current MLB roster. And we've seen some rumors that you know maybe Josh Hader is somebody who they'd be willing to trade. Um, there's been some stuff uh, that maybe Keston here is somebody that they're willing to listen on. Um, there's some stuff out there about Lorenzo Cain, although I don't know that they would uh, consider him to be a hugely valuable player right now, coming off a little bit of a down season. Um, but, you know, it just kind of goes to show that uh, David Stearns is, you know, at this point willing to consider pretty much anything outside of trading Christian Yelich. And if, if, they're limited in terms of what they can spend on the free agent market. Um, there is really not going to be a whole lot of other options to go out and fill multiple roles via the trade via the trade market, unless they're willing to deal away some of their established MLB talent, which would, you know, obviously create another hole in and of itself. So, um, like I, like I kind of intimated to before, I think at least a good portion of of the holes that they're trying to fill are going to end up going to guys who uh, they believe are undervalued and, and maybe some, some bounce-back candidates that they're uh, hoping to bring into the organization and, and think that they can get the most out of. Um, so it'll certainly 
be interesting to see what kinds of players they end up identifying to, to fill those roles. I'll say I keep repeating this. I think I've repeated it multiple po- times here on the podcast, but uh, until the roster is clearly one that is not going to be competing for a playoff spot, until that actually happens, I keep going back to that end-of-season press conference with David Stearns, and somebody asked him about the team had never made the postseason three years in a row, and he, his answer was along the lines, oh, I'm, very, I'm keenly aware of that, or I'm very aware of that fact, and it just seemed like a guy that was very motivated to make sure this was a playoff team again. So I, I keep thinking back to that. I don't, I don't know if that's just a throwaway comment or if things have changed since then, but just based off that, I feel like this is still going to be a team that has playoff expectations going into the season. Yeah, and you know everything that that they've suggested since then has said that you know the team plans on being competitive next year, and you know I guess it's sort of open to interpretation what competitive means. Does that mean that you know we're expecting them to be there in September and kind of in the hunt for a wild card spot like they were this year, or you know are we going to go into the season with them as a clear World Series favorite? And at this point, I don't, you know, I don't know that we can necessarily count on that if, if they're talking about, you know, how if, if the reports are true that they need to cut payroll and, and all this kind of stuff. And it seems like a lot of the guys who, who would be potential fits um, are, are kind of flying off the board. So, you know, like I said, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who they end up identifying as, you know, potentially by low candidates to go out and fill a lot of these roster spots, because I think that's going to be, um, you know, sort of a significant storyline heading into next season is, you know, do we think that Michael Franco, for example, is, is going to come in and, and be, the guy that the Phillies hoped he could be five years ago at third base or, or something like that. Or, you know, can Wilmer Flores be the, be the guy at first base after his nice year with Diamondbacks last year that was shortened, shortened by injury. Um, you know, there's, there's any number of, of interesting free agents out there that, that could fit into the Brewers budget, um, you know, based on what they've done in years past as far as spending. But uh, in terms of the high impact free agents that are, that are still out there, um, you know, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of optimism about them landing a, an Anthony Rendon or a Josh Donaldson or something like that. You know, but of course, Stearns has surprised us before. He's he's made some some pretty significant moves in his time as general manager, and he's had a, a fair amount more hits than than misses. So, um, you know, like I said, it's just going to have to kind of be one of those wait and see things. Um, but I think we'll have a, a pretty clear picture of. Uh, at least where the team is planning on being in 2020 as they, you know, head to Maryvale in, in spring. They acquire Omar Nevarez this past week uh, to be the catcher. He's somebody who his reputation is very good offensive player, not a very good defensive catcher at all. Seems like there's two schools of thought out there. The idea that this guy could be a liability behind the plate and he's not going to get better. Uh, the other school of thought is the Brewers have a pretty solid reputation working with catchers and making uh, catchers better from a defensive standpoint. The truth is always probably somewhere in the middle, but where do you stand on Omar Nevarez being the everyday catcher uh, for the Brewers next season? You know, in, in terms of uh, what Yasmani Grandal brought to the plate offensively, um, there's probably not a better option that you could have gone out and, and gotten than Omar Nevarez. Um I believe I saw something um, 
via fan graphs um, over the last two years. Uh, he's something like the second or third best in terms of catcher weighted runs created plus uh, right after Grandal's. He was within like two points of what Yasmani Grandal's been at the plate. So um, you certainly can't make the argument that the that the guy's a bad hitter. Um, he's a left-handed bat, and coming to Miller Park, we've we've seen any number of examples of guys who have who have really thrived uh, as coming to Miller Park as a as a left-handed hitter. Um, so you know, I, I think that we can count on him to be uh, a pretty stout offensive player um, with potentially some more upside at the bat with the bat um, as he comes to the new stadium. Um, but I don't think you can really understate the, the huge drop-off that we'll see in terms of defensive ability going from Grandal to Narvaez. Um, Narvaez is somebody who consistently grades out poorly in terms of throwing, blocking, and pitch framing. Uh, he was well below the league average at, at all three of those last year. Um, the White Sox moved him uh, in large part because of his defensive issues and the Mariners moved him um, in large part because of his defensive issues as well. And there was an article that came out from The Athletic uh, that that um, suggested that a, a significant reason that they chose to trade him uh, was because they were worried about their, their young pitchers, uh, somebody like Justice Sheffield, uh, having to throw to Narvaez on, on a regular basis. And when you think about how that fits into the Brewers, uh, you know, if, this is a team that, that – talks constantly about the need to develop impact starting pitching internally. Um, and, you know, we saw Brandon Woodruff take a huge step forward last year with, with Grandal behind the plate. And um, I'm sure that they're, they're counting on significant production from him next year. And then this is an organization that is still, you know, I'm sure looking to get as much as they can out of guys like Corbin Burns and, and Freddie Peralta, who really struggled uh, pretty significantly at points last year, specifically Burns. Um, so if, if the Mariners were worried about their young pitchers throwing to Narvaez, I mean, you know, we should probably be worried about the Brewers' young pitchers throwing to this guy as well. Uh, and, you know, for all the the stuff that's out there about the Brewers being able to coach up catchers and, and all that kind of stuff, that's great. But, you know, it's, it's going to have to be kind of one of those things that we need to see it happen because uh, – Narvaez has been through three organizations already. He came up with, with Tampa Bay, um, signed there as an amateur free agent, and they've obviously got a, a pretty strong reputation for developing players. Um, and yet he was somebody who never really caught on there. Uh, they left him unprotected in the minor league rule five, and, and that's how he ended up in Chicago. And um, there was a, a lengthy article last year from The Athletic about all the different ways um, Coaching-wise, biomechanical analysis-wise, um, analytically, all the different ways that the Mariners were working on trying to help him develop as a catcher. And by the end of the year, it, it was just one of those things where they said that, you know, Narvaez really struggled to adapt and improved because he lacks a lot of mobility and he lacks explosiveness behind the plate. So physically, uh, there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of stuff that he can do uh, in terms of athletically as, as other catchers are able to do. So I, I, I think that 
maybe there's a chance that that he improves, but I certainly don't think that it's going to be a very significant improvement, and it would take a lot for him to even get to being an average defensive catcher. Uh, in terms of fielding runs above average last year, uh, per baseball prospectus, he was the third worst um, defensive catcher in baseball. Uh, Fangraphs had him rated at negative 20 defensive runs saved and uh, negative 10 and a half framing runs below average. Um, and those were both at, at the bottom of the league for his position as well. So, I mean, altogether, uh, when you consider offensively and defensively, um, he he's pretty much an, an average regular player in terms of overall value. Uh, he's been worth between 1.5 and two wins above replacement um, in his full time duty. Uh, so I think that's probably about what we'll be able to expect next year. Uh, I certainly don't see him as somebody who uh, will be able to handle the same kind of workload as Grandal had last year, and I don't think that the Brewers are going to ask him to do that. Uh, he's never caught more than 91 games in a season, um, and it's, they've, they've already kind of intimated that Manny Ping is going to um, resume a, a larger share of, of the catching load uh, that he had prior to Grandal coming. So um, that'll, that'll probably work out well. Uh, Pena is certainly an excellent defensive catcher in his own right. Um, he hits pretty well against left-handed left-handed pitchers, which is an area that Narvaez has struggled against in the past. Um, so I think that that makes a pretty logical platoon at the position. Um, but in terms of overall value, the the catcher position next year isn't isn't going to be able to provide uh, probably very close to to what Grandal was able to provide himself. Keon Broxton back on a minor league deal, invite to spring training. We we remember the really good moments with Keon. We remember the not so good moments with Keon, and he just has not had the opportunity, or the really probably hasn't shown the ability to stick with any major league team since then. Does him coming back do anything for you? Um, you know, he he's a a nice guy to have around as depth at this point. Um, beyond Lorenzo Cain, there's not really anybody uh, who's very proven. Um, and able to play center field uh, at the MLB level. And we saw uh, Kane deal with injuries last year. He's a guy who's been injury-prone in the past. Um, and as he gets older, you know, he's going to need those days off and that kind of stuff. So um, a- after him, you're probably looking at Tyrone Taylor or Corey Ray uh, as next on the depth chart in terms of what they've got in center field now that Trent Grisham is gone. And, you know, there's obviously no track record with what those guys can do at the major league level. Neither of them were entirely impressive at AAA the year, um, the year previous either. Uh, so it's, it's nice from the team's aspect, I'm sure, to, to have somebody who's at least done it before at the big league level. Um, and we know can provide at times elite defense uh, in in center field. So um, it, it's some nice insurance for the team. But uh, if Keon Broxton is getting significant playing time next year, it, it probably means that something went wrong somewhere. 
Last thing for you, and I might be springing this on you because it just happened during the course of our conversation. Uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame has announced that Ted Simmons is going to uh, get in. The committee voted him in. This is a guy who played uh, five seasons in Milwaukee of his eight all-star teams. Two of them were with uh, with Milwaukee. Uh, seventh former Brewers player to earn induction in the Hall of Fame. I know people are going to remember him more uh, with other teams than the Brewers, but he certainly played a a huge role on some some good Brewers teams. I guess just throwing this out, do you have any thoughts on, on Simmons to the Hall of Fame? Um, you know, Simmons was obviously far before my time, um, his his career and his time in Milwaukee. Um, but, you know, I, I've certainly seen a lot of very smart people go to bat for him as a, a legitimate Hall of Fame candidate. Um, and, you know, he, he had a very, very nice career. Um and you know, I, I I certainly won't say that that he's not deserving. Um, you know, it, it's great for him uh, to to finally make it after all these years. And I don't I don't think he received very strong consideration at all uh, the the first time he appeared on the ballot. So um, I, I got to imagine that this is a, a pretty um, cool thing for him and and for his family. And then for the Brewers organization to have another you know Hall of Fame player that that is going to go into um, go into Cooperstown, uh, I would imagine at some point we'll see Simmons come back to Milwaukee, and it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, him get his, his name put up in the rafters at Miller Park as one of the retired numbers because that, that kind of seems to be the, uh, the threshold for the organization is if a guy makes it into the Hall of Fame, he'll get his number retired. He's not on the Walk of Fame, and I have a Walk of Fame vote, and I, I vote for him every year. And he has not yet gone to the Walk of Fame. Maybe this is going to be the thing that pushes uh, the voters into more voters voting for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would certainly agree with that. I guess it's a little surprising to hear that that he's not on the um, the Walk of Fame. Although I I know that uh, some of the um, some of the the thresholds that they have for for those honors um, are are a little bit stringent, surprisingly so at, at times. So uh, I got to imagine a guy getting into the Hall of Fame is is going to be something that'll push him over the top. You guys are killing it as always over at Brew Crew Ball. Tell uh, the listeners uh, what they can expect right now. Um, we're going to continue with uh, with our off season coverage, um, continuing to profile the the various trade targets and free agent candidates and trade assets and potential extension candidates and all that sort of stuff out there. Um, and then as we kind of get closer to the end of the month and the end of the decade, um, we'll start looking into, uh, you know, some end of decade stuff, uh, look into an all decade team or an all decade team for the Brewers. And then um, some, some other stories that we're working on as far as that stuff goes. And then uh, annually, we, we pretty typically look at the top pitching performances and longest home runs and best defensive plays from, from the year prior. So um, if you're into uh, year in review and decade in review kind of stuff, this, this should be the month for you. At Great stuff. Appreciate taking the time. Congratulations on uh, what's been a cool couple weeks here for you with uh, breaking some news. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again before the offseason comes to an end. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. always appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat with you. Kyle Lesneski from Brew Crew Ball joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. That is just about going to uh, do it for the program this week. A reminder for you, Thursday nights, 8 o'clock, WTMJ Brewers Weekly. Be tuned in. Uh, This upcoming week, I will not be hosting. I believe Doug Russell is going to be filling in for me. 
That happens a bit during this time of the year over the next couple months. Uh, I do some basketball broadcasting, uh, including the Green Bay women's basketball team. And, uh, they are on the road this weekend, so I am not going to be in coming up on Thursday night. But Doug will do a great job, so be tuned in coming up on Thursday evening for uh, for Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Again, that's going to go from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. My thanks to uh, Kyle Lesneski who uh, joined us. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.